Well, good morning, Parkview. Uh, my name is Doug Fern. I am the campus pastor over at Parkview East Campus. And so I have the distinct honor of being able to preach God's word to you this morning. Um, if you have a copy of God's word, I would invite you. You will be greatly helped as we, as we look at it this morning. If you open it up, if you pull it out with his phone, Bible, wherever it is, um, and, and open to the book of Ephesians. This morning, we will spend the majority of our time in Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll be looking specifically at verses 11 through 22. I'm just going to let the cat out of the bag right at the beginning, okay? This morning, we are going to spend some time talking about race, okay? Um, there's a good chance that in this room this morning, um, just even hearing that, there's probably a variety of different responses just present here even this morning. There's probably some folks who are here this morning, I'm um, just hearing that we'll spend some time talking about ra race, um, immediately causes you maybe concern. Maybe questions you're asking in your head right now are, is this really appropriate on a Sunday morning to, to talk about race? Is this really something that we should do um, at church? Is this, a, is this a social issue? Does this really have anything to do with the gospel? There's probably some here that are asking that question. Um, on the other end, there's probably a number of us that are here this morning who are asking the question or, or maybe thinking to themselves, finally, we're talking about race on a Sunday morning at church. And there's a good chance that there are many people on that continuum just all throughout, okay? Um, as we look at this passage, I'm just going to let you know the reason why we are talking about race, why we are thinking biblically about race is because the Bible has a tremendous amount to say about the topic. And thank God that it does. Thank God that it does. When we look here at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, um, you will see immediately that, that race is at the center of what Paul is talking about. Just to back up real quick. Our study of Ephesians, this is a book that I absolutely love, and I've been just chomping at the bit to be able to preach and study as a church, and so I'm just loving um, our study of it so far. But if you go back into chapter 1, essentially what you see Paul doing is he, he starts off with this explosion of praise, right? As Paul considers all of who God is, the triune God, Paul's response is to praise him. Right? And then he moves into the end of chapter 1, and he prays for the recipients of the letter that he is sending, the, the church at Ephesus. He prays that this wonderful God who he just praised, they would grow, that their hearts would be enlightened, that they would have full knowledge of who this God is. He prays for the church at Ephesus. Then last week, as we got into chapter 2, Paul shifts his focus, and, and his, his focus is on this power of God working towards those who believe that now we have peace and reconciliation, verses 1 through 10, between us and God, and verses 11 through 22, with each other, okay? This book, I hope that you will find, as we get into our study this morning, hopefully you've already seen this, is incredibly practical, there is no book that is more helpful for us to think about how do we face some of the issues of our day? How do we live the life that God has called us to live? Every time we open up this book, it is immensely relevant to our situation. Hopefully, you have seen that. I mean, really, just think of the first three topics that Paul is guiding our hand through. First, how do we think about God? 
right? Secondly, how do we view ourselves? We saw that last week. And now, how do we view each other? We have knowledge of God, knowledge of self, and knowledge of other. It's a tremendously practical book. And it proves so once again this morning as God takes our hand and guides us through the sensitive and incredibly complex issue of race. So Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. I'm going to read it in its entirety. I'll pray, and then we'll dig in. Therefore... Remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who were once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who are near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone and whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning and we need your help. Lord, much like Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus, we pray now for our church, for ourselves, for our hearts, Lord, that you would open, enlighten the eyes of our hearts, Lord, that we might see you more fully, that we might know you more deeply. Lord, and I pray that you would take this truth, Lord, guide us in it, and I pray you would use it to shape us as a people. Lord, write it on our hearts. We ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. On March 3rd, 1991, Rodney, Rodney King was horribly beaten by the LAPD. This video footage, it was viewed all over the world, and this footage was infamous. It would become a visceral symbol for the long-standing racial tension, not just in LA, but also in our country. I can remember being in fourth grade at the time, right after the police officers who beat him were acquitted, and I can remember my, my mom picking me up in school and driving up Pennsylvania Avenue. She reached and turned on the radio. I can remember exactly where we are when I heard, where we were when I heard the reports of the riots that were breaking out all through L.A. 
those riots would be, result in some 63 deaths, some 2,300 in, injuries, and over a billion dollars worth of property damage. In the midst of a city burning with destruction and despair, King made a televised appearance. Maybe some of you remember it. He was emotional. His words were raw, unrehearsed, and urgent. And Rodney King asked a simple yet profound question. It was this. Can we all get along? Can we all get along? Folks, I don't have to convince you that we live in a world that is filled with constant suspicion and segregation between the varied groups of our country. Black, white, rich, poor, Christian, Muslim, conservative, progressive, the list goes on and on and on and on. We see tension over these differences in our offices. We see tension in our classrooms. We feel the tension in our neighborhoods, even in our homes. Just a glimpse at the media or social media, and we see the depressingly relentless cycle of strife and division. Folks, this morning we can take some comfort in knowing that the question we are all asking as we see, experience, know those divisions is a question that we have been asking really from the beginning of time. Can we all get along? This morning's passage comes to us and offers us a ray of hope as it provides an answer, not just for that question, can we all get along? It answers that, but it goes a step further. It doesn't just say if or if we can't get along. It tells us how we can get along. And for that, I'm incredibly grateful. The big idea this morning, three words, peace is possible. Peace is possible. Say it another way as we look at the text. Peace is possible because Jesus, a Jewish Messiah, died to reconcile Jews and Gentiles to God and to each other. One more time. Peace is possible because Jesus, a Jewish Messiah, shed his blood so that Jews and Gentiles could be reconciled to God and to one another. In verses 11 and 12, Paul introduces us to the problem. And the problem is simply this. Ethnic or racial division exists between Jews and Gentiles. In other words, exists between us. And this division exists because of sin and because of the law of Moses. Now, we need to understand something this morning. When I say ethnic or race, I mean Jew and Gentile. I mean other. Probably the best way to understand race is the word other, okay? I'm not meaning specifically skin color. And when the Bible talks about race, it does not talk about it specifically as skin color, right? Race in the Bible 
is like an, an understanding of not just skin color, of ethnicity, of politics, of culture, of theology, okay? See, the problem, if we think of things like racism, the sin of racism, we have to keep this in mind because the problem is not simply in skin color. The problem ultimately is the problem of the heart. It's fundamentally a problem of our heart. And Paul categorizes these groups of people in the text as Jew and Gentile. These groups of people are alienated, he tells us, from each other. And that's the problem. Notice how the structure, if you were here last week or familiar with the first 10 verses of chapter 2, you'll see that the, the structure of this section really follows the exact same. It parallels the structure of the section before. Paul is describing here, as he did in verses 1 and 3, the plight of humanity. The, the hopeless reality of what life looks like when it's tried to live apart with Christ, apart from Christ. Look at verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh. Stop right there. Gentiles in the flesh. Remember, Gentile is a racial, it is an ethnic category that Paul is speaking about. And, and when Paul writes about Gentiles, he's referring to those who are not Jewish, reminding non-Jewish Christians that their alienation was a result of not only their sins, but also because they were Gentiles. He goes on, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Notice again the ethnic language, Gentile, circumcision, uncircumcision. If you're new to the Bible, you're probably thinking to yourself, whoa, things just got really personal. What's, what's all this talk about circumcision and uncircumcision? Well, I'll just take a moment and tell you. Circumcision in the Bible goes all the way back the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 12, God establishes a covenant with Abraham. He comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you with a land and with a people. And through these people, Abraham, your people, your people will be a blessing to the entire world. So then in Genesis 17, God gives Abraham the sign of that covenant. He establishes the covenant in chapter 12 and gives him the sign of the covenant in chapter 17. He says to Abraham, everyone who identifies with the people of God, with the people of Abraham, must receive the sign of our covenant. And that sign was circumcision. Circumcision would eventually be included into the Mosaic law. So when Paul refers here to those who are circumcised, he's specifically referring to those who are Jewish. When he's referring to those who are uncircumcised, he's referring to everybody else. Okay? Verse 11, Paul is making a distinction between two groups of people, between two ethnicities, between two races. He goes on to explain in verse 12 to show them how hopelessly distant they were because of their non-Jewishness. Remember that you were at that time, as a Gentile, that's the time he's speaking of, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. This is a tough spot to be in, okay? They were separated because of their non-Jewishness, because of their sin from Christ. They were separated from the Jewish Messiah, yes, because they were dead in their sins, but also because of their non-Jewishness, because they were Gentiles, uncircumcised. They had no share of the promises to the Jewish people concerning the Christ, the Messiah. 
The long-awaited, peacemaking king. So Paul says, both your sin, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, and your ethnicity, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, exclude you from Christ himself. Furthermore, in verse 12, says they are alienated from commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promises. The Gentiles were excluded from citizenship of Israel. Therefore, they had no rights. They had no privileges of knowing God and his covenantal promises. They couldn't claim them as their own. His ethical laws didn't apply to them. His powerful protection and his faithful provision. They were excluded from the community of God. As we discussed earlier, God made one marvelous promise to Abraham. And this promise was amplified periodically through other covenantal arrangements between progressive, uh, revealed progressively throughout the history of God's people. We see the covenant he establishes with Moses. Promise to bless those who would keep. He gives Moses the law of God. Promises to bless those who would keep his law. He gives a covenant, establishes a covenant with David, the humble king, a king who was after God's own heart. God covenanted that David's son would also be God's son and would eventually rule over God's eternal kingdom. Right? He gives them this law. And it's interesting, we should note that the law, the whole purpose of the law of Moses, the purpose of the law that God gave his people was to make a distinction between God's people and everybody else. It was like a fence that wrapped around God's people that kept them together and kept everybody else out so that people could look and they could see that there's something different as God's people conform their life to his law and used it to establish their basis of morality. They could look and they could see. The rest of the world could look and see there's something different about these people. The law kept everybody else out. We also see that they were having, at that time, uncircumcised Gentiles had no hope and were without God in the world. Right? This is the human predicament. Our predicament, our problem fundamentally, fundamentally is alienation. We are alienated on two levels. We are distant from God without Christ, again verses 1 through 10, but we're also alienated from each other. There's distance, there's tension, there's strife, there's suspicion, there's segregation. We're alienated from each other. This is a problem. This is a problem. Luckily, Paul provides or shows us what the amazing solution is to this problem. I mean, many of us, as we just look at the social landscape of our country, feel and know the problem, some more than others. And all of us, are in desperate need for a solution. Paul says in verse 13, but now, but now. In other words, things are different. Something has happened. we discover that the solution to our problem of alienation, yes, between us and God and between each other, is the person and work of Jesus Christ. The answer is Jesus. 
like every other answer in Sunday school, right? The answer to our problem is the person and the work of Jesus. He says in verse 14, for he himself is our peace. I want to show you kind of three different ways that Jesus is a person of peace. First, we see it in his life. We see it in the way that he lives. I just want to, before I do that, I want to read verse 13 just one more time. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near. We see this reality, this person of peace, by the way this man lived his life. He is the very embodiment. Of peace. We know this in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus inaugurates his ministry. If you're familiar with the story, he steps into the synagogue. He opens the scroll and he proclaims God's word. He reads scripture from the Old Testament and says, today and you're hearing this is fulfilled. He walks away. Everybody marvels at what he had to say. Wow, this hometown, our hometown boy, man, just blew us away. It's amazing. And then he quotes two stories from the Old Testament. Both stories have to do with God reaching over the favored Jewish people and selecting those who are, who are ethnically non-Jewish to bless. It tells a story of the widow, Zarephath, and Naaman, the leper, right? Non-Jewish people. Immediately in that synagogue, their response to him changes, right? He confronts their ethnocentrism with the word of God, and they aren't hearing it, right? They drive him out because he tells them essentially that the kingdom I am bringing is ethnically different than what you think it is. I have come to redeem a people from every group, from every tongue, and from every tribe. Just go on through the Gospels, and you will see story after story. The faith of the centurion in Matthew chapter 8. Jesus, upon entering Capernaum, the centurion, a commanding officer within the pagan army that occupied Judea, comes to him and says, Jesus, my servant is ill. He's paralyzed. Can you heal him? And Jesus responds, yes, take me to him. I will heal him. And, and the centurion says, no, just say the word. My home is, I'm not worthy to have you in my home. And Jesus' response upon hearing the centurion, non-Jewish man, his response to his, him is that, I have not even seen in Israel faith like this, a non-Jew. Kingdom of God isn't limited by social and by ethnic boundaries. The story of the Good Samaritan, the foreigner, is the hero of compassion. The healing of the ten lepers, the only one who returns. Who is he? A Samaritan. The foreigner shines as he demonstrates humble gratitude over and over and over again. You can go through the Gospels and you can see that Jesus is bringing a kingdom, establishing a kingdom that is not marked off by ethnic boundaries, by social divisions, by skin color, by geography. He is ransoming to himself a people from every tongue, from every tribe, all across the world. Jesus came and spoke directly against the racist and ethnocentric worldview of the day. They didn't like his message. They rejected his message, and eventually they would reject him. Racism, folks, at its core is a misunderstanding, not just of basic human rights. It's a misunderstanding of God. 
Secondly, we see Jesus, a person of peace, because he accomplishes this in his death. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. God brought Gentiles who were alienated from God because of their race and alienated from the people of God because of their race into the people of God by means of the blood of the Jewish Messiah. Look at verse 14. For he himself is our peace who has made us, notice the language, us, Paul, a Jew, writing to Gentile Christians. He has made us, both the Jew and the Gentile, one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. What is this dividing wall of hostility that Jesus broke down in his flesh by the spilling of his blood? Well, I believe it's the, the very partition that separated Jews from the Gentiles. The fence, the law that enclosed the Jewish people, keeping them safe from Gentile influences. The Jews' observance of the law set them apart from other races, from Gentiles. Jesus died on the cross, and when he died on the cross, he broke down that wall. It goes on in verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments. There it is, expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So, making peace. Peace is possible. How is it possible? By the blood of Jesus. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. This is what the blood of Jesus does. It takes people who were once enemies, who were once hostile, and it brings them together. No longer enemies, now friends. Brothers and sisters, one new man out of the two. Now, it's important to note that Israel is not reconciled to God by means of the law of Moses. They will not be saved apart from faith in Jesus Christ. Jews and Gentiles alike are both guilty of sin, Romans 1, 18 through 3.20, and Jews alike can be justified by faith in Jesus Christ, Romans 3.21 through 4.25, because Jesus died, Ephesians 2.16, to reconcile Jews and Gentiles to God and to each other. Verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. He's quoting Isaiah 57, verse 19. This is the gospel. Notice his language. He came and he preached peace. What did Jesus preach? He preached the gospel message. So as you wrestle with the idea of is racial reconciliation a gospel issue, I don't know how you can read Ephesians or the rest of the Bible and not conclude that definitively, yes, it is a gospel issue. And if we want to be gospel people who are reconciled to God, we have no choice but to be reconciled to each other because that's what the shedding of his blood did. To deny that is to deny the work of the cross and to minimize the spilling of his blood. Finally, we see this, so he demonstrates it in his life. He accomplishes it 
and his death. And Paul tells us that it's, and this is important, that this was the plan from the beginning, okay? It wasn't a secondary or a third or a fourth option. This was the plan from the beginning. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 10, you'll read this, actually 7 through 10. In him, that is Christ, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ. The purpose he set forth in Christ. Look at verse 10. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This was the plan from the beginning. Micah 5.5, 5, and he shall be their peace. Isaiah 6.9, he's a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Paul tells us that Jesus himself fulfills this promise. He himself is our peace. He is the source and the embodiment and the personification of peace itself. So we've seen the problem, which I think most of us, it's good to look at the problem and see it biblically in its context. It's, we need to do that. But most of us, if we raise our heads up and just look around, know the problem exists, right? And the solution to that problem, the alienation that we experience because of sin, because of the law of Moses, the solution to that problem is the blood of Christ. So, in the last part of Ephesians chapter 2, Paul gives us a picture of what it looks like when God's people embrace this. When they live this out. Christ is peace. He is our great reconciler. But here's the deal. Paul is writing these words for a reason. Right? He's calling them to remember these words, quite possibly because they have forgotten them. And there's a good chance there's some of us here this morning that need to be reminded of them as well. Not only of who Christ is and of what Christ has done, but also because of who we are as a result. This, Paul says, is who you are. In Christ, this is you. The idea of reconciliation across ethnicities and races and nationalities. Across the many walls that we have built to keep some in and to keep others out. Those walls, Paul is saying, have no place in the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus, when he died on the cross, came to crush and destroy those walls. Yet he was rejected for the very people he came, by the very people he came to save. His blood was spilled on the ground. His life was given up on the cross. His body was buried in a tomb. And in doing so, he crushed the walls and the barriers that kept us from God and from each other. But he didn't just come Paul says, to destroy structures. He also came to build a structure. He came to create something. Look at verses 19 
through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You're no longer, your former identity was a stranger. You were, no, you were not welcome here. But now you've been brought near and you are a saint, a member of the household of God. This is who you are. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, and whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In the first century, Gentiles could only enter the, through the court of the, gen, the Gentiles in the temple. That was the only place they were restricted to, to that space. They couldn't go into the temple. But now Jews and Gentiles, Paul is saying, are the temple. It's not just that they can go in. They are the temple that God's spirit is dwelling in. I mean, this is blowing their mind. This is amazing. This is a beautiful picture of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Not just for me personally, but for us corporately as a people. Under the old covenant, God's glory was to be put on display through the nation of Israel under kind of a come and see mentality. Under the new covenant, the church is to be the theater, which is to put on display the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make his glory known throughout creation. So how do we respond as a church? Let's close with this a few minutes. How do we respond as a church to the racial, the ethnic divisions that we see that exist in our world? Okay? As a follower of Jesus, how do we respond? Well, first and foremost, um, which I, I hope this almost goes without saying, when we as Christians see pain, when we see suffering, when we see history of hostility, our first response as followers of Jesus is to lament, is to grieve. Our hearts, as we consider the tensions in our country and in our world, because, I mean, there's a uniqueness to, our, to the, some of the racial tension in our country, but I guarantee you, if you go to any other country, you will see a different uniqueness in that country. This is humanity. And our first response as followers of Jesus, when we encounter it, is to not try to justify it or to explain it away, but to be brokenhearted about it, to lament and to grieve its presence in our world. Another way we can respond is, you know, I, I see this. You know, if you think of just historically what's gone on since maybe 2014 in our country with um, some of the things that have happened in our nation, um, it has caused um, racial tensions to surface for some folks who maybe thought that they were dealt with. Not everybody. Because okay, the majority of the folks who felt them always knew that their existence was there. But for some, they've surfaced, right? And for the church, and this is, I mean, and this, this first should break our heart. It should, it should cause us to weep and to mourn and to grieve and to lament. But secondly, what an amazing, an amazing opportunity. We have brothers and sisters, the solution to the problem. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22 tells us the solution. And it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Now here is an opportunity. Because our nation is having a conversation. Our community is having a conversation. And people want to talk about it. People have opinions about it. And for me, I see this as a, an amazing opportunity to put Jesus Christ on display in our community. Not just by talking about it, but by living it. Because this is who we are. I don't know if you guys are having campaign season in Iowa, people knocking on your door. This week I had a Bernie Sanders dude come in and invite him. It was cold. It was cold outside. He was committed, right? And I had him come in and he was standing in my foyer and I was just kind of dad mode. Kids were running around. My wife was at the gym and um, I think there was even one naked baby running around. It was kind of <laughs> unfortunate. Um, got some clothes on her, all right, and then talked to Bernie dude. So, but for me, and I, 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 I try to stay out. I mean, I don't, I'm not super versed in, in, in politics. I mean, I feel like I, I, I do what I need to do so I can be well informed. Uh, but I know enough about some of the issues, right? And so for me, as he stood there, it was maybe 20 minutes of him standing there and us dialoguing. And after about 20 minutes, we moved into my office. We're sitting in chairs. We're opening books. He has a Bible. And I go through the entire story of Scripture in about five minutes about why God is. And, and you know what? It was about knowing some of the issues that he was most likely passionate about, you know, and using that as an opportunity to share the glory, the person, and the work of Jesus Christ. It, is it, it, is, it almost seems overwhelming, I will confess, when we think of what our nation faces, okay? As Christians, we lament and grieve, and we take the gospel message, and we apply it like a balm over a hurting wound, okay? This is who we are. I would also challenge you to pray, to pray, okay? To pray for our country, to pray for our, our church, that we would not take the issues that are out there dividing everybody and allow them to divide us, right? But that we would see ourselves as the blood-bought and ransomed people of God. And that we would seek out, pursue racial reconciliation. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that he has been given the ministry of reconciliation, and for those of you who represent the dominant culture, this is primarily your work, okay? It just is. Whether that's right or wrong, it's the reality. It's the truth. We have to embrace that. We have to seek out that because of perception and because of challenges that exist that will not allow it to happen the other way in some cases, all right? So it's, it could be easy to be overwhelmed and to be defeated over this issue, but I thank God. In his mercy, he gave us not just a handbook to guide us through these challenges, but he gave us a person. He gave us himself. Lastly, if you're here this morning and you do not know this Jesus as your personal savior, I don't have much hope for you where this is concerned because I don't know any other answers. There's a reason it's lasted throughout history right? As Christians, Jesus is the answer. And only through Jesus is peace possible. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you just for the time this morning to look at your word. Oh, we, we just confess that this is, and, and for some this morning, far more painful 
far more difficult. Lord, and I pray that as brothers and sisters that you would give us the grace of entering into this conversation. Lord, that we would be a people who would see the pain of our brothers and sisters and we would lament, we would grieve. Lord, I thank you that you've given us a hope, that you've given us yourself. We thank you for that. Lord, we love you and we need you. Lord, we need you. I pray that you would make yourself known, not just in this church, but tomorrow when we go to work, school, or when we go home, Lord, that as these topics come up, that you would help us to be biblically informed Christians. Lord, and that we would use those opportunities as an opportunity to put you on display. We love you, and we ask these things in your name. Amen.